Hi, welcome to the second episode of our podcast series, Gaining Ground, hosted by our current curator in residence, Annie Yale Kwan. Annie sits down with artists from our current exhibition, Future Ages Will Wonder, to chat about the themes in the show and the artworks on display. In this episode, we'll hear a special performance from artist duo Breakwater, who are Young Suk Choi and Tae Iwe. As Breakwater, their work explores social practice across subject matters such as climate justice and the lived experience of migrants. After the performance, the artists will join our host Annie in conversation. Gaining Ground and Future Ages Will Wonder is supported by Art Formation. To find out more about this series, the exhibition, or us, visit our website, fact.co.uk. What a beautiful day. We are not scared. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We are not scared. Let us tell a story of how bears signaled the beginning of human history. According to Korean legend, about 5,000 years ago, a tiger and a bear wished to be human, so they prayed. Finally, the god of the mountain advised them. If you eat only garlic and mugwort in a dark cave, Without seeing any light for 21 days, you will become a woman. They started a journey of transformation together. The tiger gave up soon after, but the bear managed to endure and walked out of the cave as a woman. Not only that, the son of gold who came to the earth to build his holy kingdom was attracted to this bear woman. Between this heavenly spirit and the bear woman, the first king was born. Well, that's the story we grew up with. Yes, we are descendants of this hybrid. We have been holding the future since the very beginning. However, we also have our suspicion. Why did the bear woman not become a first queen of the nation? She is the one who endured God's horrible test, not her hybrid son. Where is her glory? The story of a human king continues, but we don't know much about what happened to the bear woman. She seemed to exist only to be a bearer of a great man. Giving birth to a holy man-child, and her story ends there. This feels like unfinished business. 
we are going to find her. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We are not scared. Uh-oh, a forest. A big, dark forest. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. As soon as I gave birth, holy spirits and the humans took my child away from me, saying, I'm still a bear in a human body. They dismissed me as primitive, uneducated and inferior and expelled me from their kingdom. I was deeply despondent, yet I was excited about going back to the forest. I had missed so much. You know, we bears are true nomads after all. We know where to find the delicious fruits and mushrooms. But the forest was no longer there. Instead, the unbearable horror was waiting. All the trees were cut down. My fellow bears had been hunted down for their skins, gallbladder and feet, or just for the thrill of hunting down a beast. My life depended on escape, so I became an exile. We're going on a bear hunt, we're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh-oh, a river. A deep, cold river. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. I arrived in the land of dreams and opportunities. Looking down on me, people uniform said, Tony skin, thick dark hairs, you must be a bear in a human body. But they didn't expel me. They saw how useful my resilience and patience could be for their empire building. They gave me a loan and a contract. The deal written in black and white. Sailing down the river and across the ocean, I traveled to all the continents, first to the gold mines in South Africa. I was one of the 64,000 Chinese indentured laborers, called coolies. We could not leave the mines without permission. We could not interact with the local people. The government considered us to be criminals if found outside the mining camps. It reminded me of the dark cave I endured, but only worse. Instead of 21 days, you are locked in for eight years and another eight years for many. I heard the most dangerous destinations were the guano mines on the islands of Peru where toxins burned the eyes, throats, and lungs. Very few ever returned to China. 
Then I went off to the sugar plantations in Cuba, Hawaii, and Mauritius. In Cuba, about 6,000 Chinese workers arrived every year. We were sold for between $100 and $500 per head. We were chained without committing any crime. We were humiliated by being stoned on the street. We had no choice but to work day and night, day and night, and day and night. At the farm, at the railroad, we built the cities and bridges. For many of us, this hard-working life and public despair simply continued all the way to the 21st century. We going on a bear hunt, we going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh oh, a tide, a fast, fierce tide. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. My back was about to break from long hours of harvesting cocos. In Mokan Bay, cocos are called the shells of gold. I had to collect 25 kilograms to get paid five pounds. I worked through the dark, cold and misty winter night. I was too tired to notice the incoming of the eight-meter tide. Local fishermen warned me the low tide is turning, so I must escape. But they were not my boss. The overwhelmingly fast high tide swallowed me up and washed me away. I tried to run but the tides were faster. I still remember all the shells of gold I picked that night and how they all scattered through the water bubbles and foam. They looked shinier than ever. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day! We are not scared. Uh-oh, a snowstorm. A swirling, whirling snowstorm. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. We were just a bunch of hard-working women who were doing our best to survive and support our loved ones. Then came this man with no hesitation and anger. He said I was evil and my body induced him to a dirty desire. He said I have sinned against him. He pulled out a pistol 
and punished me for just who I am. Agony, screaming so much blood and loss of love. It reminded me of the horror in my home forest where my family and friends were hunted down for their skin, gallbladder and feet or just for the thrill of hunting. The massage parlor in Atlanta looked exactly like that. We're going on a bear hunt, we're going to catch a big one. What a beautiful day. We're not scared. Uh oh, a cave, a narrow, gloomy cave. We can't go over it, we can't go under it. We've got to go through it. What's that? One shiny wet nose. Two big furry ears, two big goggly eyes, it's a bear! Quick! Back through the cave, back through the snowstorm, back through the tide, back through the river, back through the forest. Get to our front door, open the door, up the stairs, oh no, we forgot to shut the door. Back downstairs, back upstairs, into the bedroom, into the bed under the covers. We are not going on a bear hunt again. I became an exile and wandered around the world to find out what it means to be a human. It was a journey of fear and despair. Yet I endured all the tears and sweat my back and shoulders are aching from excessive labor and full of scars from my master's whipping. My breath is toxicated. My hands are rough and dirty. My bones are broken into pieces by fierce high tidal waves. My stomach is bleeding heavily from gunshots. And I am I am really tired. It all started here in this cave with my dream to be a human. Was it worth it? I don't know. I just endured. And I am walking out of the cave again. This time I don't dream to be a human. Instead, I will follow the gentle smell of old spring. There, can you see? The bright yellow dandelions are swaying and waving at me.
Hello, my name is Annie Yaokwan. I'm currently curator in residence at FACT and also the curator of the exhibition Future Ages Will Wonder, which is showing at FACT till the 20th of February, 2022. The project explores the advancements of science and technology in relation to our conceptions of ourselves and our histories. I'm very pleased today to welcome Breakwater, who are Jung Suk Choi and Tae Yo Hae, two South Korean artists based in London. You've just heard an experimental performative piece by them, uh, which is an adapt version for our podcast today. And they'll be performing this live uh, at FACT Liverpool in the gallery in February. So please do check the website for details on how to register and join us there. Hi, Young Suk and Tae. Um, it's really nice to be connected. And of course, we are all uh, spread across the world right now from London to Singapore to South Korea. Um, so thank you for making the time to connect. I thought maybe then I would ask, um, since we're all apart now, how did we all come together and how did you start to work together as Breakwater? Hi, Annie. Thank you for inviting us today. Um, I think we met about 15 years ago um, through our mutual friends in Korea. Um, but then life took us apart and then we were both busy, um, I guess, make a living in London. Um, then just before the pandemic, uh, we met through the AAA in the, one of the meetings that you ran and we realized our path is coming together and we wanted to kind of keep in touch. Um, and through the pandemic, I think we realized that our experience living in London as migrant, as a diaspora, um, made us realize that artwork needs to expand into more solidarity work. And uh, we were quite struck by lack of support for Southeast and East Asian um, nurses in healthcare. And uh, we simply wanted to make um, the healing practice that what can we do? Um, I don't think there was a broad spectrum, what can we do in arts? We started our conversation talking about how can we make 
um, care structure, care infra infrastructure within ourselves in the longer term. Um, and I live near the forest and I invited Yangsuk um, to the forest and we walked a lot together. And through that walk, we talked about how we survived in the country, what we envisioned in, in our life, what's hurt us previously and what kind of hope we have. Um, so gradually it kind of formed the collectivity that we want to work under the breakwater. And breakwater that um, protects the lands from the high tide and um, strong wind but also it disperses all the water, it disperses the waves. Um, we are aware that breakwater, the construction of breakwater can destabilize the seabed sometimes, um, but we really like the idea of the protection and um, making, making the ocean unstable in some way. So yeah, that's how we met and how we decided to work together. Youngsook, do you want to add on anything? It was also uh, not just of us, but you know, many people had this reckoning that you know the art world is highly competitive and it's not really kind of endorsing collaboration. And also we had to put so much effort sometimes in a quite kind of, you know, uh, wasteful way to compete each other over very limited resources. And so, yeah, I think uh, the forming the collective uh, is out of this reckoning. Let's not compete, but rather, yeah, we can kind of form the force together and find a way collectively to survive. So when you came together, uh, you made this work, Fermented Flower, for the Future Ages Will Wonder exhibition. For those who have not visited yet, I really would encourage you to come and see the show and come and see Fermented Flower, uh, which is a large scale installation featuring a tapestry uh, with soil and dandelion wine and a sound uh, component. And the tapestry itself is um, fairly large, right? And it's composed of different images um, that are composited. And then you add this wonderful hand embroidered detail uh, throughout the tapestry. Can you tell us a little bit more about this process of making together, um, especially in relation to what you've discussed here about wanting to be together in your work in a non-competitive way, working collectively? And I imagine that is has been quite an interesting process since um, the work is so labor intensive. Um, I think we started with a conversation about the digging up the earth. I think we started our conversation in winter um, about the image of digging up the, the earth. And because it was winter, we talked about the burying kimchi into the clay jar and put it on, put it on the ground. Because winter is so cold in Korea, the soil itself um, becomes refrigerator and the kimchi ferments inside quite deliciously. 
and burying something and fermenting something, it kind of, it takes a time, it takes a energy, also it takes a lot of waiting time. Um, and also excavating something out of the earth that what can we find not as a um, person who is looking for the treasure, but a person who is looking for um, the connection to earth, what can we get? And um, so that kind of come to the thinking, what if, if we bury our liquor, um, take liquor out of the soil and drink it? Um, so that was kind of started with our imagination and then we researched into the Chinese indentured labor. Um, how did they move when that happened? What kind of contracts they had? What kind of records they have? What kind of nickname they had? What kind of infrastructure they built in each country? And when the spring came, we started harvesting the dandelion together but also separately. So in Yongsuk's garden, in my garden, um, on the street, in the forest. And then we took those dandelion into the liquor and fermented them. Um, so we mixed them with the soju or gin or vodka, all different kind of the substance that we can find. Um, and then we were testing with the different images with the different colors and different methods. Um, because this is kind of patchwork we wanted to test what works best in the tapestry, in the fabric. So the idea is that fabric coming out of the earth to meet the, the audience. Um, so then once we decide, okay, this is the picture we want, then we started the embroidery work. And because embroidery work, such a, such a high um, labor intensive work, we needed to work separately, but also together and see each other's style. And um, I guess it kind of also shows how you work. And mine was more of a volume, voluminous and three-dimensional kind of style. And Yong Suk's embroidery style was more flat and traditional way, much more tidier than mine. And we kind of combined them together. So once we finished our piece, we exchanged our piece so that Stylistically, they are all combined in the each patchwork. Um, and then also we drew a picture in large that what we want, like um, for instance, for the cockles and trees and different layouts. Um, so that we kind of put them on the floor and see whether this works. And sometimes we discuss the details of the certain part, like how the dandelion root coming together um, and how does the root entangled with the victims who, who are tied and grounded and how does the highlight of the blood drawing um, and colonizers coming into the pictures and in what way we want to bring the names of the cocoa pickers um, into, in, into the work. And I think at some, some point, we thought trusting the process is very, very important in our collaboration because it's a long process and we sometimes have to work separately, sometimes we work together. So it became a little factory routine, um, which was also lovely.
the name fermented flour is uh, is coming from one particular Korean shamanic ritual uh, that heals mental illness that is supposed to heal mental illness and uh, the process of ritual starts with uh, alluring alluring the madness with the flower so the ritual uses flower as a medium or even collaborator to attract the madness spirit out of this person who's suffering from these mental issues and then and then soak this flower into a bottle of alcoholic beverage so but the interesting thing about this ritual uh, is looking at mental well-being as a community affair not an individual issue There's, the ritual tries to understand and accommodate one's mental issues within the social political structure and therefore it is about community interrogation around one's madness so i think uh, the idea of uh, you know healing someone's mental issues as a community endeavor is is kind of a the baseline theme of this work how we can look at painful and traumatic uh, historical lineage of our diaspora communities and in in a in a context of uh, healing so i think uh, yeah so this uh, shamanic ritual is in a way baseline narrative for the the fermented flower and uh, this ritual believes as uh, soaking the flower into a bottle of beverage basically kind of locking up so the madness uh, uh, or even kind of negative spirit doesn't spread around and and therefore the assuring of locking up is also uh, coming through the burial so you're not just uh, uh, soaking the flower into the bottle of alcoholic beverage but also you bury whole bottle uh, underground but in a way uh, in our installation the bottle is half buried so we are saying in a way we don't want to bury this madness we actually want this madness exposed in a, to a certain extent so it was kind of twist out of this shamanic ritual and in terms of aesthetics uh, we at some point we kind of uh, came to a conclusion that we can kind of get get the aesthetical inspiration from the black lacquer closet decorated with the mother of pearl you know in in many Asian countries they have this kind of a closet uh, lacquered black lacquered or sometimes red lacquered but decorated with, uh, with shiny pearls and, and and this type of furniture has a very specific collage with the symbolic elements of trees birds and flowers identifying long healthy life and happiness and therefore you you hold this piece of furniture with these hopes and and because of it of that it was quite interesting when annie you mentioned about the resemblance of our work with the religious murals and it was quite fascinating and you know how our growing up with these artifacts and everyday forms of our heritage sometimes leads us to the certain aesthetic choices yeah so i think that that was kind of uh, you know interesting about the aesthetical choice of this this work so thank you so much for explaining a little bit about how the tapestry came together, your different ways of working with embroidery. And you've also mentioned uh, various details. I think, um, Tay, you were mentioning the cockles and Jung Suk, you mentioned the dandelions. And so these motifs uh, also include the coolie cap in the print and the religious monks that are quite uh, recognizable when we look at the tapestry. 
So together with the cockle shells, and then you also embroidered the names of the cockle farmers who perished in Morecambe Bay during the disastrous incident that happened actually not that long ago, right? So can you please tell us more about how, I suppose, you how you came to bring these motifs together um, in that layout? And why did you also choose to pick up those names with the pearlized thread? Um, it's a very delicate and intentional, but also commemorative act of you know, embroidering those names and inscribing those names. And I, I also wonder what went through your minds as you were doing that. When we decided to bring the, the history of Chinese indentured labor, we also thought it's important to keep reminding the continuing legacy of the extractive colonial structure, which replaced the abolition of black slavery with the Chinese indentured labor. I think this profit making out of abusive relationship towards migrant workers as well as nature is prevalent, even reinforced in our contemporary times. The tragic incident of Mokambe resonates well in, in this context. The brutal and dangerous working conditions in cockle picking and over-harvesting of cockles to meet the demand in French and Spanish restaurants. And the pressure for more profit, more profit, more, prof more profit led to the loss of lives. And each life behind these names has a desperate story to tell. And most victims were from Fujian province, where many lost their livelihood by the land acquisition by local authority. But we don't know about this. It's just like the, the when 39 people were found dead in the back of lorry in Essex. The media focus was all about, you know, people trafficking, hence weaponizing this narrative to tighten the borders and justify hostile environment policy. But most victims are from the two fishing villages where the marine ecosystem has been completely destroyed by the toxic waste dumped by the multinational steel corporation. But how many of, of us know about these stories? Uh, that's always the question. Going back to Morecambe Bay, inscribing these names on the shells was the act of remembrance, not only of the Morecambe Bay incident, but also all other similar losses that repeat again and again due to the violent structure of neo-colonial operation. And when the audience pays respect to each hand-stitched name, it becomes a humble solidarity moment we intend to share. Thank you so much. And also thank you for sharing with us your experimental um, performance today, you know, which has also been adapted as an extract for this particular podcast. And I was just listening to, listening to it and listening to the interweaving of different uh, contextual stories or fables. Um, and I was wondering why you chose to do that, you know, going from a kind of recognizable bear hunt um, children's rhyme, you know, to something that opens up into a, I suppose, a fairy tale that I'm less familiar with uh, in the Korean context, I would assume. Can you explain how you chose to weave these stories together and uh, why do you think the mode of storytelling in particular um, is the media that could actually communicate what you're trying to say about the mode of hunting, the mode of searching, the mode of acquisition? 
storytelling is a gatherer essentially you know we all have memory uh, you know the storytelling from mother or grandmother or we gather around the fire and someone started telling a story storytelling is such a great medium for an intimate gathering and also probably the one of the oldest methods of transferring community wisdom moral frames and ethics the famous children's story we're going on a bear hunt intrigued us as this story tenders the hunting narrative by reversing the adventure of overcoming all the obstacles posed by nature and the eventual failure in hunting down the bear. So here, a bear signifies the human arrival in fear of the beast, the ultimatum of wilderness. It reckons the conquest of nature has a limit. It works probably as a warning message for children not to go about too further. The point is, whether it's an attempted failure or not, nature is seen in this story. Nature is seen as a challenge and unknown. Therefore, it needs to be conquered and tamed. At the same time, a home in the civilized world is posed as the safest. All the, you know, the father and all the children eventually all scurried back home and in one's bedroom and then feel, feeling kind of uh, secure and safe. But home is such a contesting place for diaspora as a sense of belonging is always in question, where, where we belong. What if there is one who cannot belong neither to nature or the human world, or belong to both? So here comes in the story of the bear woman. As Korean diasporas, we grew up with a national mythology about the bear woman called Ungnya. Ungnya, the bear who endured the gods' horrible test to become a woman and gave a birth to the first ruler of the ancient Korea. Um, in the performance, we start with the story of the bear woman, Ungya. Um, it's, it's about like 5,000 years ago, one tiger and one bear who wanted to be a human, or why would they want to be a human? In mythology has all this wishful thinking that humans are the best in the um, living ecology. Anyway, um, so that they, God was telling them, okay, if you um, go to the cave and only eat garlic and mugwort, then, um, and without seeing any light for 21 days, then you will become a woman. So the bear came out from the cave and became a woman. And that woman given birth to a son and son became a uh, 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 first man of a career. So we grew up with this construction of the nation um, story. Um, but the, the, the bear woman represents nothing but mother of the nation. But we are more curious about what if the bear didn't want to become a um, human and carry on become a bear. But at the same time, um, are we still a bear woman? And all these diasporas and people who is migrating one place to another for the opportunity and because of the exploitation, aren't we all um, bear women? That was the basically the structure of the performance. Okay, I mean, it's interesting because the trope of the bear in some way is universal, but the positionality of the bear is different in different stories. 
I think it features, of course, in Shakespeare, you know, one of the famous exit lines, exit pursued by a bear, you know, which is a kind of retributive bear chasing someone, because in a lot of the medieval um, entertainment, bears were captured and used for uh, entertainment to have bear fights or get attacked by dogs and so you know it was sort of humorous but also black humor to have that in the play right so of course that something was something that came to mind when I, you know I was listening to your recording and you also mentioned earlier that in a way you're trying to counteract like the older narratives of uh, extractivism and exploitation which come up with you know um, an unbalanced uh, power structure, you know, and also then we would imagine that there are, um, in those cases, various traumas inflicted and terror and so on, which of course is reflected in the hint of what happens with this bear, right? Um, so I guess my last question is that by weaving then this cosmology, which has been linked to these histories of hunting and abuse and so on, uh, with a different cosmology, uh, which is shamanistic and to do with the myths and origins, uh, are you in a way trying to reframe or reconfigure or open up a different kind of ethical ethical code in relation to your artistic practice? Um, and if so, like why do you think that's important? There has been a kind of positive direction in art and science that had started recognizing the agency of nature. But how we have come to terms with this often involves violent infiltration as well. The, for example, the needles are injected uh, to check the change of chemical substances and liquid flow to prove that trees talk to each other. I mean, it is all good intention, but isn't it always the way how the Western science operates its knowledge system, the evidence-based knowledge production, the number games? On the other hand, the indigenous people have been telling us that trees talk to each other for thousands of years without any scientific proof, and we have been completely dismissing. So what has been lacking is not the evidence. We think. I think it's it's the connection that has been lost in this colonial knowledge system, and that is something we're trying to recover in our works. Thank you so much. Um, well, Future Ages Will Wonder is open till 20th of February. So you if you haven't had a chance to visit Liverpool and Fact, please do. Please come and see Fermented Flower. We'd love to meet you there. Uh, we will be um, doing a program in February and Breakwater will also be present to do a live performance in the gallery. Uh, please do look at the website for more details on how to sign up and yeah we look forward to seeing you there.